Hi, and welcome to the Christian Fundamentals Foundations course. As we journey through these lessons together, my hope is that your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ will find meaningful expression and lead you on to maturity and fruitfulness in your walk with Him. I trust that this lesson will guide and encourage your heart. Hi, everyone. It's a privilege to take you all through today. Um, I won't say without challenge. Uh, when Michael told me I need, I'm going to be sharing, I'm like, okay. And then I saw the subject which I'm sharing on, and I was like, ooh, this is going to be interesting. So I know Trish is excited, and I, I, I latch on to that excitement and pray that the Holy Spirit ministers to us through his word and through the notes and, and through my sharing. So you guys all have your notes, I believe. I'm sure you're well, well rehearsed, rehearsed in knowing how to. We're going to go through the notes. I'm not someone who goes word for word through everything. Because you have it, like Trish said, you got it. You should be able to go through it in your own time if you haven't. And But we're going to be discussing. Uh, the one thing I would like to do, maybe, I don't know how Michael does it, I would like, you guys will have the, the verses in front of you. I would like a different person to read a different portion of Scripture. So we have some, some measure of in, interactivity. And if you have a pressing question at the time while I'm sharing, please unmute and let's discuss. Um, sometimes you forget that, or if you want to make a note and we do it afterwards, that's even better. All the same, it's good. I, I like... I like facilitating a discussion because that's why we have a group forum here and I would be keen for you guys to contribute. Okay, so we are going to be talking about lesson 10 on the foundations course, resurrection of the dead. All right. Now, before we get into the notes, just a personal sharing from my side. One of the passages of scripture, which I'll, I'll, I'll discuss when we get there, I got mailed a question from from someone from the international ministry, particularly the faith asked questions for the young adults. And I got asked the question regarding, it was it's the passage we're going to talk about with a certain rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. And man, that question tested me last year, asking questions that even to this day is not for me cemented in my understanding, because some things we just can't understand in our human understanding of when we talk about life after life after death or or resurrection or you know there's a mystery there which is good there's a mystery there that we should be comfortable in knowing that the world is always questioning what happens after we die and yes scripture does give us some hints or clues or uh, explanations but it doesn't cement it all up that we know exactly how things work so i'm just going to read you the mail that i my response and particularly just one paragraph i said I said, this is a humding of a question and largely still remains a mystery for many. And many theologians are always dis discuss this and debate this topic. But I told this person what I hold fast and believe. I said, what I believe and hold on to is who we will spend the rest of our time with when we pass. Will we be with Jesus, wherever that may be, or will we be with without him? And that for me is the heart behind what happens when we pass this earth. When we choose him in this life, we will meet him in the next. When others reject him in this life, they will go on to the next without him, and they won't spend the time with, without him in eternity. You see, our time after this earth is a product and a result of the ultimate choice we make on this earth, echoing Moses' 
choice that he puts before them, the people of Israel, and Jesus' choice that he puts before us. We have a choice between life and death. Choose life. So for me, that's that's for me the, the foundation where I reside on what happens when we die, is who are we going to spend the, the afterlife with? Whatever that may look like, wherever that may be, the ultimate question is who? Because we have a relation, a relational intimacy with Jesus through the Spirit and the Father. And that that is for me the core thing that I hold fast to, is who are we going to spend that time with? So I just wanted to, to start there. All right. So let's get into the notes. It says the purpose is that you all have a basic understanding of the doctrine of resurrection of the dead and how it applies to the life for all of us as believers. The first, the, the, the next point where they cement on man as a, a triune being, I'm sure, I don't know if you've covered it or not in your notes. I did look back, but for, for maybe if you haven't, it says, and something that's really resonated in my heart this week as Bible students, Bible study students will tell you, is that we are created in the image of God and in his likeness. And that's found in many places in the Bible, but firstly, Genesis 1.27. And, and the statement here, God is a triune being and therefore stands to reason that we are created similarly in the same manner. So who would like to read 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23 from the New King James? You have it in your notes. Who would like to read and take that one? The first come gets the shortest. Shall I start? Okay. Thanks, Mark. I, I don't mind going again. <laughs> um, okay. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks, Mark. So it says the scripture clearly defines three parts, the spirit, the soul, and the body. And these terms, if you're in relative Christian circles, shouldn't be too surprising for you. The spirit is the life force of man, which is invisible and immaterial. It says the soul is the soul is the area of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Although your soul is inseparable from your spirit, they have distinct and separate functions and roles to play. For me, it, it <laughs> we can define it like that, but I think even theologians battle to truly understand what soul is. So I encourage you to study and read it. The, the Hebrew word for soul is nefesh, and, and that means throat. And what they understood is that anything that enters or exit a man that gives him life in other words breath or food is 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 resembled by the soul the nefesh his throat so they understood it as as life giving something that gives life right anyway you can you can take study then what i'm saying is sometimes we feel we've got a handle on what the soul is and then we learn sometimes maybe we don't the next is the body that one i think we we don't struggle too hard we know that the body is the physical part, the physical part of, of man. All right. It says the best way we can understand the threefold nature of man is to define it in this way. You, you are a spirit. You have a soul, your mind, your will and emotions, and you live in a body. The reason it's important to understand this is because God is concerned with our total sanctification. Now, that word should hit you hard today because we've been dealing with it as a spiritual family, both in the local and in the international church, what it means to be set apart, what it means to be sanctified unto him. 
in all areas. And we know sanctification isn't something that just applies on the body side in terms of, you know, if we do that, we, we run the risk of running into religion. If we just fixated on what it looks on the outside. Sanctification also comes into the renewing of the mind. How do we make sure we meditate on things that will set us apart in that time with an intimacy with the Father and with, the, and with Jesus? How does, what will deepen our relationship with him? I would put it that way. 2.4.1 says, he created a perfect triune being and has a plan for the deliverance and restoration of all three parts from the power of influence of sin and death. I think we will cover that in detail as we go. So it says here, whether Michael's taken your other speakers, previous lessons, we've discussed how one can become completely a new creation in the spirit by receiving God's free gift of salvation through faith. I think we, we should know that when, when we accept, when we come into contact with Jesus and we accept him again in our lives, we are recreated in our spirit and we are alive to him once again. And he can communicate with us and he resides in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. All right. Our recreated human spirit is now in communion, communion with the Father through the Holy Spirit and, and Jesus. In previous lessons, we have discussed how one can become a completely new creation in, uh, sorry, we said that already. 2.5.1. The process of salvation and sanctification can therefore, thereafter be worked out in the area of one's soul, enabling the believer to conform their lifestyle and way of thinking to that of Christ. And again, for me, the powerful thing is that we, we are created in the image of God. And then Jesus is the one true human that actually resembles God without any sin nature and without any fall. And therefore, after Christ and his death and resurrection, we now conform to the image of Christ, who is in the perfect image of the Father. We conform our mind and everything who we are. I like the way I like to define it. You see, we, we run the risk of compartmentalizing things when we say mind, will, and emotions, or body, soul, and spirit. For me, the Shema is a really good way of explaining it. Love the Lord your God with all your being. It says, right, with all your heart, your soul, with all your mind, everything that you are. And that's the heart of it. Love the, love the Lord your God with everything that you have and with everything that you are. So your whole, your whole being is the best way I can say it. So that is for me what I cling to in, to understand that when I, be, when, I, when I allow Christ's nature inside of me to change me from the inside out, I become more like Christ. That is the, the goal as us as humans while we are on this current earth. That is what we need to become more like Christ because that is who we were initially were created to be like, the Father, an, an unblemished, undefiled, perfect image and reflection and likeness of our Father. All right. The 2.5.2, the last point on 2.5, it says the, person of this the purpose of this lesson is to discuss God's plan for redemption. I don't know if I read that already. I think I did. it sounds very familiar. Of man's body, complete his work of deliverance and restoration of the complete triune being of man. All right. Now the, the kicker where I'm sure all of you are interested. Point number three, what happens to man when he dies? Right. If I had an answer for that question, um, we would be 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't think any human being can categorically answer that question in terms of the exact concrete nature of what it looks like. But we can look at scripture and we can look at the word who gives us hints and clues and signposts. N.T. Wright speaks of signposts in the word where it directs us to, hey, it's going to look something along the lines like this. And that's what we're going to do. All right. The spirit of a man will appear before God. So I'm going to just use me because it's safe. So if I had to pass today, what happens to everything but my, so my body goes down to the grave. Okay, Nicole's far away, so she won't get sad when I talk about this. So I will get buried, my physical body, whether I want to be cremated or buried, my body will be placed somewhere, and the essence of who I am, the real who I am, will go and appear before God. Now it says, the note says, this is not the final judgment which takes place after resurrection, which we're going to classify. That resurrection is talking about the resurrection of every single human being that has ever lived this earth, right? The resurrection of everyone. We'll get there. It says, at this time, when Stephen dies and his spirit is taken up to appear before the Lord, it, it says there, we'll give a divine sentence, revealing the place and the state it must occupy from the time of death until the final resurrection of everyone and the final judgment of everyone. And I want to caution you, when we read judgment, we shouldn't all read a negative, right? Let's look. I don't know too much about it. I'm just going to pass it because it's topical. But the Zondo Commission, there, there's judgment going on there, right? What we're trying to do is we're trying to correct or investigate what went wrong and bring order back into the situation, whoever's investigating. Judgment is not necessarily something that always brings a, a penal punishment or something that brings harm. But imagine those who are wrongfully hurt or are victims of something. Judgment is a celebratory thing. Right, so we talk about justice and judgment is not always negative. It's only negative for those that did harm or did the wrong. But judgment can also be a, a good word for those who have done right. Right. So I just want to caution us when we read. We, we always think I don't know in our Western mind we think judgment is as as punishment. And just let's be careful of how we label that in our minds. All right. Three point one point two says. Each spirit, so Stephen goes up, will continue in that state of place until the resurrection of the body for final judgment. Okay, let me try contextualize this because if, if you just read it, you might not get it. What I understand in reading it and in my studies is that when I die, if I'm a believer and a follower of Christ, not just in word but in, in, in action as well, and that's important, we're not just sayers but we doers too, then I will go and spend time with Jesus. So he says to the, uh, the brigand on the cross, when Jesus is on the cross and he's got one on his left and his right, I don't know which, and then the one is not forgiven, he, he doesn't ask for forgiveness, he doesn't accept Jesus, but the one does. Jesus says to the one that does, Tonight, today you will dine with me in paradise. All right? Now, we can go into a lot of theological discussions in terms of what paradise is before Jesus resurrected completely or after but for me, he's spending time with Jesus. So for me, that is, that's why I read you the email in the beginning. Wherever I go, in terms of, we use the word heaven in the West, in terms of like, and again, a lot of imagery there that we need to be careful of, but it's, it's the presence of the Lord and, and presence of Jesus. When we go there, we spend, we're going to appear before the Lord. And if we are believers and we had that relationship with him, intimate and deep, 
and it overflowed from us while we lived on this earth, we will go and spend that, continually spend time with him into what N.T. Wright calls a wayside inn or a temporary place. And that, why am I calling that is at the end of, again, a book that many people struggle to interpret or still today, Revelation talks, the end days and the final resurrection and the final judgment, the world will be recreated and heaven on earth will be one. Holy city will descend and that's where we will reside, right? And we will, our bodies will be resurrected. And this is what we're talking about today. So we go to spend time with Jesus until that end time is finished and done and the resurrection is complete. Not just Jesus, who's the first fruit of all of our resurrection, but every human being is resurrected and based on their relationship and their choice of life or death, they will spend time with Jesus or they will not. All right. I hope I'm not confusing you. And, but I, 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 with all honesty and humility, I do not have a firm grasp on this. I'm just trying to communicate as best that I understand it at this stage. All right. So there's two points up points there on 3.1.2 it says at this point there's a complete and permanent separation of the spirits of righteous and wicked that's now if stephen dies today before the final resurrection of all beings and until final judgment we will either spend it with jesus or we won't also the condition of the spirits of the righteous before the death and resurrection of christ is different from those who have since departed their mortal bodies what i understand is there's a difference with those that died before Jesus walked, died and resurrected, and those that thereafter. In other words, they were in a different place, in a different state, because they needed that price to be paid in order then to be reconciled with Jesus and the Father. And now for us, we're on the other side of the cross. We now can be, and we're going to read that, that passage in, in Acts with, when Stephen gets stoned. He, he sees a vision of Jesus and the heavens being opened, and he says he's going to depart and be with Jesus. All right. Okay, let's move along. Who would like to read Luke 16? And I hinted at this earlier, verse 19 to 31. Any takers on that one? Mark, I did mute you earlier. Sorry, I'm going to unmute you. If you can maybe just mute yourself and then. Uh, who would like to read Luke 16? Okay, sure, Stephen, I will. Um, it's quite a bit, so <laughs> Luke 16, verse 19 to 31. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was... So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angel to Abraham's bosom. Bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, 
nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my fatherly's, my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he might testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, They have Moses and they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Thanks, Natasha. You definitely got the longest one. <laughs> All right, where do I go with, with, with this one? Thanks, Natasha. Um, so even discussing this with my dad, there's various various interpretations of this passage, and I'm sure if you've done research, you'll find it too. So we're going to stick to the notes in this one. It says, until atonement was made by Christ, believing spirits had to remain in Sheol. Okay, Sheol is the Hebrew word, and or Hades is the Greek word for Sheol, which is, which is Hebrew. It's the same place, just different translations in Hebrew and Greek, until the appointed time. So we're speaking here, and it says that in Hades, there was an area reserved for the the tormenting of the wicked and this area was known as abraham's bosom it's called bosom because they were you know like when one of the disciples would recline at the table with jesus and that would be he would sitting in jesus's bosom it's just the posture of, of intimacy or, or, or space it says abraham's bosom or paradise reserved for the spirits of the righteous now this is i think this is what the notes hinted at above that before the cross before jesus's life death and resurrection where did where did they go and this is they're using this passage to illustrate what it looked like as when they went before jesus walked died and was resurrected since atonement for sin has now been made through the death and resurrection of christ the spirit of righteousness can now ascend directly into god's presence and that's what we discussed earlier now if if does anybody else would like to I ask and I ask with trepidation, but does anybody would like any more insight into this passage or can we carry on? Because it is a it is one of debate. All right, let's carry on. Now, who's going to read for us Acts chapter 7 verse 55 to 56 as well as verse 59 to 60. Acts 7, 55 to 56, and verse 59 to 60. And who's going to read that for us? This is the one I alluded to earlier. Okay, I'll read it, then it's, then it's easy. Speaking about Stephen, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with the sin. And when he said that, he fell asleep. For me, the true remarkable thing about this, we can marvel at the vision and, and everything, but the true remarkable in terms of he's actually got Jesus's heart. The nature of Jesus has really transformed this person. Not with the pr profound sermon that he gave before. You can just read the acts to find that profound sermon but the fact that he's being stoned and he's being put to death and in a brutal 
painful way, just like Jesus on the cross, he says the same thing Jesus said. Do not charge them with this sin. Forgive them. That for me is a true remarkable part of this passage. And that shows me that this man's likeness was truly being transformed to the likeness of Christ and, and resembling our Father God creator. The notes say, in saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, we see that Jesus was received directly into the presence of God. That's clear in terms of, of the vision that he had. He's now being wel welcomed to, to Jesus' presence and to, and to be, be there by his side. So we're going to go to point number four now, from time to eternity. <laughs> that, that for me is like, is an eternity all time. But anyway, from time to eternity. 4.1. There comes a point in everyone's life where time ceases. Time ceases for them, right? I would like to say breath ceases in their lungs. They're no longer alive on this earth. And eternity begins. It says there's two universals, like there's two universals, the divine appointments that await every person. The resurrection of the dead, like we spoke about, everybody will be resurrected and eternal judgment. Everyone will be judged. Now, again, don't read the negative into that word judgment. Because if you lived a good life, you'll be judged accordingly in right, a righteous living and you'll be, you'll be given your due reward in terms of that. 2 Corinthians 5.10, I'm going to read it just to just speed up. It says here, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one of us may receive the things done in the body according to what has been done, whether good or bad. For me, I like to even use this verse to understand the parable or the what we discussed before with the rich man and Lazarus. They got what was due, right? So it says, each one may, re may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That is judgment. That's why I said don't always look at it as a negative. It can be positive and it should be positive for us believers as well. And it will be. 4.3, every one of us will be judged according to how we lived and what we did well in our mortal bodies. Folks, I can't say it any other way. What we do in this life does really matter. I think we must never lose sight of that. Who we are and whose we are and who we reflect on this earth really does matter. Not just for our sakes, but we can see from the rich man's response, he, he's sitting there in the wrong side and he's thinking of others. It's important for others that we bear fruit and that they may see Christ reflected in us, that they may come to know him as well. You see, for me, the gospel is never a selfish one, and it should never be selfish, no matter if we're alive or dead. We, we should always look to bring others to the introduction of Christ. That is who we, what, what we need to do. 4.3.1, since it's the things done in the body that we must answer for, our bodies need to form part of our eternal judgment. So they say the order is there. We all get resurrected in our, in our physical bodies. Now note, just a side note here, if you read the scriptures, Jesus' Jesus's resurrected body is unique in terms of he's got an appetite. He eats and drinks. He has a fish fry on the beach, but he can walk through walls and he can look different. From time to time depending on whether they receive him or not the road to Emmaus for example so I think our understanding of what our body is going to look like we don't quite know but we know we're going to be re re resurrected we're going to be standing up again right and the word resurrected I don't know if we are going to cover it is from the Greek word anastasis which means rising up or raising up 
in other words, to cause or to stand up. All right. And we, we know Jesus's words to Lazarus. Lazarus, rise. You know, he's, he's causing a resurrection. All right. And there's a side note there with the icon. Resurrection of the dead precedes final judgment because God will judge us as he originally created us. Okay. Let someone read this one. Revelation 20, verse 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works, by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Thanks, Trish. All right. This portion of scripture clearly states that every person will be raised from the dead. So this is what we're talking about. Resurrection. Okay. Okay, just like Jesus is resurrected after three days, the tomb is opened. He's no longer in the tomb. He's walking in this resurrected body. Yes, it's unique, but it's his, his whole being, his body is resurrected as well as his, his every part of his components in his nature. So every human being that ever walked this earth will be resurrected in bodily form. What again, whatever that looks like. And that's when judgment will take place. And this is what the scripture is describing that judgment and again that judgment is based on how you lived your life on this earth so this earth where we are now and how we're breathing now how we live this life will result in this judgment so not only will we spend time with jesus in the wayside inn while we wait for this eternal judgment but this this judgment will then render once and for all where we will go and you can read in the scripture like Chris read the death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So you can clearly see you raised up and then there's a, there's a judgment there. Okay. Let's go to the next main point, understanding resurrection of the dead. Okay. I've already covered that resurrection. Anastasis means rising up or raised up. Okay. There are three aspects of the resurrection that are important for believers to consider. Folks, resurrection is a core pillar of our faith. Jesus' resurrection is the most unique event, and we even know our calendars are changed, or our timeline of or how we experience years is based on Jesus' resurrection. It was unique then, and it is unique now. I think we can agree, agree on that. Not only that he did was raised, but what his resurrection meant. And we all, we all know what that means. So there's three points. It says the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the, like I said, that's a very core pillar of our faith. The second one is the spiritual resurrection of the believer in Christ. That talks about when you welcome Jesus, you welcome that relationship again. You accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, not just with the sinner's prayer, but the true repentant heart, turning to him, asking for forgiveness and receiving the forgiveness that is already given. We are recreated. Our human spirits are recreated and re in communication with him. And we're in fellowship with him. They term that as the resurrection of the spirit. And the third one says the ultimate resurrection 
of who we all are in the graves. And that's the one that we were focusing on earlier, that every single human being will be resurrected and will be judged. All right. When referring to resurrection of the dead, we are speaking about the resurrection of our physical bodies. This applies both to believers and unbelievers. I think I've stressed that point in us. Who's going to read John 5? 25 verse 25 and verse 28 to 29. Even I'll read again. It's fine. (laughs) Okay, John 5 25 verse 28 to 29. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which we all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good, to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation thanks natasha so is the dead in this passage referred to the spiritually dead whereas the in the grave refers to the the physically dead uh, so they're saying it's there's two forms of resurrection the resurrection of life for those who have done good and the resurrection of the condemnation those who have done evil okay our resurrected body we can look at Christ's resurrected body as an example of what our resurrected body will be like. Like I said, not quite the same from what we experience today. Before we go into the notes, first thing, there won't be death or decay. Jesus has won the victory over death and everything that death means. You know, when you cut a plant off, when you cut a branch off from uh, its, its stem or its root system, it's already dying, right? There's no death or decay in our resu- in, in when we when we as believers in our resurrected body just like we can see with jesus christ's new body was not subject to the limitations of our mortal bodies he could appear and disappear at will he could enter closed rooms and could pass between heaven and earth right our resurrected bodies will likewise be changed from a natural body into a spiritual body okay and will no longer be subject to the limitations of this natural the way i can explain it is this in, again, we're not trying to explain it that I understand it, but if we if we go back to the first pages of the Bible, the first sentences, and we see Adam and Eve, and we see when they are without the fallen nature, they are communicating with God, they're walking with God, right, in the cool of the day. They are not the same as we are because we struggle in our human flesh to come into contact with, with the Lord. They're not exactly how we are. But at the same time, they're interacting with the world at the same time. They, they, they're subduing and having dominion on the earth. But then what's key for me that I really was found a revelation in studying is that when, when, they, when they sin and they disobey God and the, we know the immediate thing they do, they grab the fig leaves and, and everything, they, they understand, they think they, they are naked and they are ashamed of who they are. In other words, something was missing from them. They were no, the, no longer clothed in the glory, I think the scripture says. They're no, they, there's something absent, and they needed to add to themselves or cover themselves. In other words, in their physical body or whatever that, how we put it together, in their being before the fall, there was a physical clothing or, or, or feeling or addition to them that they now missed through their sin, through the fallen nature. For me, what it will look like, Afterwards, when we are resurrected, we'll be very close to what Adam and Eve looked like before the fall. And of course, what Jesus looked like in his resurrected body. We will be put back to the state that we were originally created before the fall. Okay. 
1 Corinthians 15, verse 42, 44, and verse 53. I will, uh, you want to read, Mark? Thanks. Um, so also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and the mortal must put on immortality. Thanks, Mark. Is there such, that's such a, a gospel message there from Paul. And that's how our gospel works. That's Jesus, how he wins victory by dying on a cross, right? We are, we, we, we die, we die in corruption, but we are raised in incorruption. And such a very poetic and powerful way to put it. Um, and, and he speaks about how a new body is not going to be like this mortal flesh that is, that is corrupted, that is decaying, that is weak, that is limited, but also it will be incorrupted and it will be immortal. And like I said, it's not quite what we understand our bodies to be now. And it's going to be completely different and unique along the lines of Adam and Eve before the fall and Jesus after his resurrection. So in this immortal body that we will abide and rest in eternity, either with God within the framework of the new heavens and the new earth or apart from him. Right. I, I like the way that's put you either with him or you're not. And that's that's what I'm trying to explain to you today. That's for me what I whatever whatever it looks like, we're going to be with him or we're not going to be with him. And that's 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 the key for me. And the new heavens and the new earth again, revelations, uh, John's passages there talks about the city descending. And for me, the Garden of Eden. And revelation after the beginning and the end speaks of where the Lord is walking on this earth. So it's almost like heaven and earth are almost overlapping and are intertwined. And this new created earth will no longer know death, decay, corruption, or anything that we we struggle to fathom because that's part of our life, right? It won't won't be the same, and we're going to spend time in this recreated earth with our Father and with Jesus, just like Adam and Eve walked on the cool of the day with the Lord intimate all right let's let's round out on the the last couple of points the first the first being christ is returning for those who are his galatians 5 24 and those who are christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires professing christians who lead careless or carnal self-indulgent lives will not be numbered among those whom christ will receive to himself and i think this is one that scares any believer no matter what life you live because you know it's not just about the words that you say. You know it's about how you live your life. And you just have to read the Sermon on the Mount to understand what deep implications that has for every one of us. In other words, it's not just an outward action any longer. Jesus dials it into our hearts. And he says it's how our hearts, how our hearts carry forward and beat forward. It's what we think. It's, it's the inner things of our hearts. And that's why it's important. It's, it's not about saying the right thing. Also, it's not about just doing the right thing intimately. You have to have a heart-to-heart -heart relationship with the Father, and that needs to birth out, because that's what love does. It bursts out and bears fruit and, and multiplies that outward. The last point for this evening, the importance of resurrection of the dead in the life of, of the believer. 
Resurrection of the dead is the culmination of God's offer of forgiveness and salvation to every repentant sinner who will put his faith in Christ. The pinnacle of all our hopes as Christians and the supreme goal of our life of faith here on earth. I'll read Philippians 3, verse 10 to 12. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of what for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Excuse me. Paul did not intend to allow anything in this world to prevent him from attaining this wonderful expectation, the resurrection from the dead. I think Paul speaks the heart. We just grab a heart wrap around Paul and, and how unrelenting he is in his pursuit to be with Jesus. Um, and then another one of his letters, he says, when he's, he's torn and perplexed, whether he wants to be with the physical believers on earth or whether to be with Christ. And he says, I long to be with. You see, he's, whether he's living on earth or whether he's with Christ, he's always pursuing what Christ means and what Christ, who Christ is for him. And he's, it's almost like that on the road to Damascus when he's, he had a, a life-altering encounter. And from that time, he's pursuing Jesus and relationship and pushing others towards that relationship too. Or I wouldn't use the word pushing or leading others too. And I just, that's just such a powerful ex, ex, uh, imagery that he gives us in Philippians. So your personal application, we likewise should be careful not to be caught up living our lives with our focus only on this temporal fallible world. It is important that believers remember that our eternal destiny, judgment and reward will be determined by how we live our lives on this earth. Okay, the way I understand that, because if you read it quickly and you don't pay attention, you might think it's contradictory. But like I said, what we do on this world matters. So who we are is even more important and whose we are is critical. We are to bear, bear the image and likeness of Christ who reflects the Father without spot or blemish. And that's, as believers, what we need, who we need to become. And we need to allow that change to happen steadily and progressively. It takes time from the inward out so that when people come into contact with us and us coming into contact with people, that they taste that fruit, that they see that likeness and they get to know Jesus. It's like Jesus walked this earth over 2,000 years ago, but he almost, it's like he still is walking this earth through his, his spirit in us, pouring out into moments of kindness, of generosity, of fruits of the spirit, of, you know, selfless giving love. That's how people get to know the person of Jesus is through his body, which is us. So what we do on this earth really does matter. And we shouldn't get caught up on the distractions that this world presents us with. And that's what sanctification, to tying it all up to Sunday, that's what it's about. It's about making sure we are truly set apart for Jesus. The, the one uh, quote I read in preparation, it said, it gave a very quick allegory of what sanctification is. It says, you have, ladies, you have many dresses. And you can wear any type of dress for any day. But there's one dress you wear on your wedding, wedding day. And that's your wedding dress. That is set apart. That wedding dress is set apart. For a special someone and a special occasion we too should be set apart and be wearing that wedding dress with jesus because we are his bride i don't know <laughs> theologically it's maybe a bit stretched but it's a it's an interesting and a beautiful illustration of what it means to be set apart 
All right, that's what we have for today. We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.